The goal of our subversion is a society which is governed not by mortals nor by gods, but only that which makes for peace. A society that does not need logics to force people to love. A society which does not need to strip people of their freedom to keep them free. The Grey Star, Street Prophet. Ah, Neo-Babylon, city of dreams and dreamers, city where anything is possible, where you can get a spiced coffee and a frosty puff at three in the morning and read all 800 issues of the Mythic Heroes Diginovella, son's a scratch favorite. You can find your soulmate, start a business, and resolve to be your best self, make it happen. But it also is a city that kills the prophets, keeps the castes in their proper place, and legalizes theft by naming it commerce. In Neo-Babylon's Undercity, the more some communities are torn down, the tighter others cling together. While sometimes these groups are gangs, sometimes it's just folks wanting to live their lives. No matter who these people are, they just want to survive. The Ukim Council, wealthy elites, syndicates, gangs, guilds, corporations, these are facts of the world. Just like counterfeit light, as phony as the processed food we all eat. Those who are able to work in dangerous dead-end jobs to keep going. Unstable magic, outdated tech, and the constant stream of garbage from the overcity have become invaluable commodities. In the last file, we got pretty close to where we are now, in 450. But those events weren't the whole story. What was happening on the world stage is what was in the history books, but it doesn't explain how Neo-Babylon itself evolved into the garish, wonderful, broken, dissonant mess that it is today. After the War of Scars, Neo-Babylon's influence was on the rise. It was they who facilitated the world's nations coming together to standardize law and order, and whose leadership seemed to inspire confidence in the global economy. More states formed treaties and entered into their commonwealth. The city of Dakar, called the Gateway to Neo-Babylon, and one of the three capitals of Senekemet, grew into an advanced port city. It became the center of emerging corporate power and was quicker to openly adopt new technologies than Neo-Babylon itself. It modernized its infrastructure and began to ship goods all around the world, most immediately to Europa and Neo-Babylon. With prosperity, the population boomed. And this new role as the world's exemplar also caused an influx of refugees and other immigrants to flood into Neo-Babylon. Forgive the pun. In response to the surge of new arrivals, Neo-Babylon implemented some of their worst policies to date. The first was the annexation, they call it the integration or municipal amalgamation, of the surrounding settlements. Hamsu, Baytown, the Silver Coast, Le Sanctuaire, and the area between them all became part of Neo-Babylon. Districts no longer under independent control, but subject to Neo-Babylonian rule. The second policy was the foundation of the Lawjacks. Yes, them. Everybody has their own horror stories about these bootlickers armed from head to toe in armor reinforced uniforms. The ones supposed to provide peace through obedience. But whatever that motto might have once meant to them, it became clear over time that it was only meant as a warning to those that police. The same lawjacks whose boots are metal lined so the clacking follows their steps, announcing their presence and raising everyone's anxieties. The same lawjacks who wear gold-painted masks designed to hide the identities of those who take justice too far. The same lawjacks who are trained, given weapons, paid, granted unearned authority and immunity, and 
Though they should be punished more for breaking the law they are sworn to uphold, instead, as a statute, are rarely reprimanded for anything, almost any of the time. Yes, those lawjacks. This policy did away with the old form of policing and replaced it with the occupying army known as the lawjacks, whose authority is punitive, not protective, who only ever seem to care about those willing to pay a little extra for their services, those who only get paid if they find enough people doing wrong to send to the Purgatoria. Which brings us to the third abysmal innovation of Neo-Babylon, the invention of the Purgatorium. For those who haven't had the privilege of spending time in one, a purgatorium is where you are sent to work off your sins, purge yourself from wrongdoing, as it were. Now, don't get me wrong, that is just where the name comes from. The reality isn't so clean. In the old days, and still some places today, they had prisons to punish people who did wrong and supposedly act as a deterrent. But wrong is just a slippery concept for the elite, and we've pretty much abandoned the idea. Now, all the crimes are financial. Do the crime, pay the price. And there's a value to every wrong that you can do, to people, to society. If you can't pay, if you go into debt and can't make your debt payments, then those are sins that have to be purged. You steal something from someone who can afford to take you to court, that's a sin. Were you born in a poor neighborhood with parents who couldn't afford the transportation to get you to whatever school may or may not have been available in your sub-district? Well, that's somehow your fault. And if you're so sinful as to get sick or for some reason have physical needs that Neo-Babylon doesn't want to help you with, well, I wonder why you sinned so badly as to anger the gods so much to make you so needy and also too poor to pay for the treatments. The powerful control who gets treatment and who has to pay, so you end up owing Neo-Babylon or a corporation or a guild stands that you can't pay back because you're a criminal sinner. And Purgatoria are where you go to redeem yourself. One silver standard of hard labor at a time. A carry-on effect was that once your debt was paid, you're clear, you're redeemed, you're rehabilitated. Though everyone under the sun might have records of your indiscretions, they were never held against you. Unless, of course, you ended up back in debt somehow. But not everything was a terrible, awful, no good idea. Some of them were good, beneficial ideas, usually with side effects. Take the Metropolis commuter train, for example. While yes, the Metrocom is restricted by caste and you have to pay extra to go outside your district, it's still the best public transit system in a world which often doesn't have any public transit. Another example are the treaties that Neo-Babylon pushed through the Babylonian Commonwealth, outlawing landmines and attacking non-combatants. And don't take this as an endorsement, but Neo-Babylon's soldier police force, you know, I mean the Lawjacks, don't use lethal force in their normal capacity. Don't get me wrong, getting thumped with a shock mace hurts like fug, but unlike dissidents in other parts of the world, Neo-Babylon tries not to kill you, even if it is just to exploit you later. Oh, and there is, or was, the space program. We almost sent people into space. Years ago, there was this huge station being built about halfway from Neo-Babylon to Valbrosilion. And when I say huge, it was the size of a small city. The plan was to launch it using a new thruster technology while Powerful Magi kept it steady and protected it from falling apart under the strain until it could reach orbit around our planet. And it was gonna work! We all wanted it to work. We all watched a tragedy unfold as the entire station and its crew of thousands crashed back to Earth, decimating the countryside and the small town that had grown up around it that housed the families of the crew and builders. It remains a twisted wreck to this day, full of mutants or abominations if you believe the stories, which I don't. But trying to stay positive. We almost made it to space. Besides almost making it to space, international travel is fairly easy if you have the stands. 
And best of all, although a mixed blessing it is, the invention of cyber technology. Since the flood of 289, technology has been fiercely advancing. In the century and a half since, nothing has impacted life as we know it more than cyber technology. During the Fairy Wars, two corporations, Nabutech Unlimited and Crescent United, which have both since been swallowed up somewhere in the mess of the corporate conglomerates, began supplying the Alliance of Azor with technology far beyond what was commonly available. Far, far beyond. The first innovation of this cyber technology was long-distance communication. Not just audio or video, but nearly instantaneous downloading and uploading of entire libraries worth of data. All you needed was a stable cybernet connection, and you had all the information of the global cybernet at your fingertips. Those that couldn't afford their own cybernet connection, which is still a good deal of Neo-Babylon, can connect through public cyberlinks, or C-links. Of course, everybody calls them clinks. Clinks are public access terminals allowing connection to the cybernet. Of course, clinks become so much more. Most clinks these days are also connected to mini factories, which can accept payment for goods and print goods literally on command conjuring up goods from its base components. Of course, food is also dispensed by clinks, but on a much smaller scale, and it's dependent on location, availability, etc. But it does allow those underserved communities to get something instead of having to fend for themselves every hour of the day. But of course, maybe the most visible innovation of cybertech is the advent of cybertech post-personhood. That is, the replacement of limbs and other body parts, even parts of our brain, with cybertechnology. This has allowed people to regain use of lost limbs, yes, but also to perform feats of strength, agility, stamina, and skill that were never able to be achieved before, aside from magical means. And that's when it clicked. Never before had normal people had access to powers and abilities that rivaled those of magic. And now, it was slowly but steadily flowing down into the reach of most everyone. Things aren't perfect. The poorest still rarely get what they need, and the middle classes rarely get enough to be able to put up a fight. But the ability gap is shrinking. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Continue to wait around till those with power find a way to game this system too? Or are we going to get involved, wake from our slumber, and find ways to daily subvert our corrupt systems? I know my answer. After nearly 2,650 years of arcane domination, the first real challenge to magical rule has appeared in the form of Computers, advanced science, cybertech, blurring the lines between flesh and machine. With it, or alongside it, you and yours can make a difference. Clean up your neighborhood, stand in the way of the brutal lawjack officers, deal with the corrupt representatives, expose the wickedness of the corporations, topple the arcane fascists. It starts small, it starts with you. The road you're on is beset with enemies, and once they know you, they'll never stop hunting. But. You'll have friends, allies, and family beside you. There's no power for change greater than a community discovering what it cares about. I can't change the world by myself, but I can throw a rock into the water and cause ripples that spread outward. These files are my stone, and you, dear listener, are the ripple. <laughs>